0: So last Sunday, uh, we started our new vision series for the next month or so, uh, around the idea of non-hierarchy, which is a conversation that our leadership and community have been having over the recent years. And Jenna kicked us off last week, and if you missed it, um, definitely go check that out. Um, But many of us grew up in faith communities uh, or organizations that embraced hierarchical leadership, and maybe we experienced unfortunate harm, pain that came from those structures, and maybe we never had a voice in those communities, or if we tried to be heard, the power structures existed in a way that would stifle or even silence what was coming from below. So before we jump in, I wanna give you a moment uh, just to reflect on this question. Notice what comes up for you. you, know, maybe how your body responds, but how do you feel when you're given a voice? in a situation or in a group, whatever setting, right? What comes up for you when you think about an instance where your voice was acknowledged? It was welcomed, it was given space, right? So think about that for a moment. If you're willing, go ahead and share with someone near you, right? I'll give you a moment to do that. All right, what were some things that came up for you what were some feelings as far as when you're given a voice? Or maybe it's a lot of um, anxiety that yeah. I sensed in this room just now. I was giving you a voice. I was giving you an opportunity. You didn't take it. Uh, but what were some things maybe that came up? What were some, some feelings that when you're given a voice? Grateful. Grateful? So some gratitude? Feel male. What's that? Feel no. male. <laughs> you feel male? Okay. Got it. Not like mail, as in envelope mail, no. but yes, gotcha, gotcha. Like mail, mail people, yes. Like heard, heard. Accepting. Acceptance. Discomfort. Discomfort. Bless. Blessed. Anyone else, one more? Valued. Valued, yeah. Some beautiful things as well as, well as some tension around that. Um, you know, for me, a couple of years ago, uh, after the tragic Atlanta shootings, the spa shootings, uh, some organizers put together a Stop Asian Hate rally at Houston Tilliston, And I was invited along with some other faith leaders uh, from around the city to offer prayers during a vigil. And it was such a gift and honor, right, to be asked to offer my voice in this meaningful way. Um, granted, all the other faith leaders sang their prayers, um, which was next level. Like, I didn't, wow, I didn't know you could do that. Um, definitely step up my prayer singing game. I'm not promising anything, but. Um, Regardless, I truly appreciated the intentionality for collaboration, for partnership, uh, being able to offer my voice in that setting and space. Right, It made me feel seen, made me feel comforted uh, for the loss and fear that I and many Asian in the Asian community were experiencing. Right, To know that my voice mattered felt empowering, made me feel included. Right, And so last month we had our, our annual uh, leadership retreat and we reflected on how both hierarchy and non-hierarchy have been experienced here at Vox. And so when it comes to non-hierarchy in our community, uh, some of the things that surfaced included this. Um, So these are some of the ideas. So collaboration, right, the importance of partnership. Um, Diverse voices on our teaching team. Spaciousness, allowing space for mystery and for questions. Freedom and flexibility. Right, where we acknowledge that many of us are coming from different um, places and experiences. Collective discernment, where it's a community process. Consent, right, we're choosing to participate in this way. Transparency, which adds a layer of accountability. And then shared leadership. And this last idea, shared leadership, uh, is something that I would like to explore a bit more this morning and what that means for our community. This is very personal for me because I've lived through some of the challenges and hurt that our own community has experienced as we've been impacted by hierarchical structures and leadership. Being involved in that leadership structure and knowing the impact and pain that we collectively experienced has been something that I've been unpacking and will continue to unpack. And so I want to name that up front Um, And if things surface for you as well, because you've experienced some of the same things, whether it's here or other settings, um, notice that right in your bodies. Be kind to yourself. And I think this is really important work, because in this season of Vox, we have a unique opportunity to reshape and reimagine what a healthy leadership and community might look like. Right, to actually push back against the narrative, against the structures that continue to foster harm that leads to spiritual, emotional abuse. And it's important to recognize that hierarchical structures go hand in hand with patriarchy, with racism, with all types of phobias. Because they're meant to keep power in the hands of those who don't want to lose power. And so as we continue this conversation around non-hierarchy, the question I want to explore this morning is, how is a practice of shared leadership resistance against oppressive and harmful structures, right? What does shared leadership invite us to resist? And so to help us explore this invitation of resistance, we're gonna continue to unpack Philippians 2 like we did last week where the Apostle Paul reflects on the humility of Christ and how that might offer us a framework to imagine what non-hierarchical leadership and community might look like for us, All Right. So let's start in verse one. If then there's any comfort in Christ, any consolation from love, any partnership in the spirit, any tender affection and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And so just to offer some context here, this church community that Paul's writing to was dealing with conflict, which happens in every community. And at first glance, it could be an overly simplistic reading that in order to navigate conflict, the goal is to conform or to assimilate so that everyone thinks the same way and agrees with everything. That there should be just one voice and one way of thinking. But as we read on later in this passage, while their diversity is still important, Paul is actually inviting them to collectively mimic the mind of Christ. And when you consider the mind of Christ, right, his teachings, how he embodied his teachings, we see how intentional he was in centering the voices of those who were typically neglected or ignored. Whether they were women or the poor, the differently abled, those from different cultures. Jesus existed on the margins in an attempt to redefine the center. It wasn't about establishing one homogenous voice. He was always trying to expand and include and bring in those who didn't have a voice at the table. He understood that everyone's voice and presence matters, not just the ones who are at the center of power. And so for us, shared leadership resists an individualistic vision and voice. It's not about who has the loudest voice, it's not about who has the flashiest vision, but we're invited to consider and include the collective voices, right? Even those that have been neglected Were ignored. You know when we first planted this church community we had a pretty standard hierarchical org chart. We had a lead pastor right and then we had some other pastors and then we had our navigation team which would offer guidance in long-term planning and then we had staff and ministry teams that would support and carry out the vision. And with the lead pastor, sometimes it was simpler just to entrust one person to figure out the vision and direction of the church. And over time, though, it also became harder to question that voice and easier to fall into groupthink right, and not consider the wisdom of other voices, especially underrepresented ones. And over the years, this worked until it didn't. You know, in the middle of the pandemic, while we were still in lockdown, you know, our former lead pastor, founding pastor, left this community unexpectedly, uh, didn't offer anything in terms of transition. And so there was a lot of hurt. There was a lot of confusion. There was a lot of grief um, that we collectively experienced. And that painful experience also held up a mirror for us. It forced us to deeply examine how we view leadership where the areas of unhealth were when we re- relied so heavily on one individual's vision and voice. It invited us to reconsider and reshape the impact of hierarchy and individualistic vision. And it was during this same time period, right, that different books and podcasts were also reflecting on similar things that we had just experienced. And so as a leadership team, we took some time to listen, to read, to learn, whether it was the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast, talking about the unfortunate harm and abuse that permeated a large church in Seattle, where they embodied the vision and personality of their lead pastor in unhealthy and harmful ways. Or the book When Narcissism Comes to Church, where Chuck DeGroat explores the devastation that narcissism plays, not just with church leaders, but in church systems as well. Or the book A Church Called Tav, Uh, which is Hebrew for goodness, where Scott McKnight and Laura Beringer reflect on the gaps and blind spots of the Western evangelical church that is so steep and embedded in hierarchical power and structure. And they begin to offer alternatives of goodness that we need to nurture in our resistance of these harmful church structures. And so one of the big shifts that we made a couple of years ago which our our members voted to change in our bylaws, was to move away from a lead pastor model and instead practice a pastoral team model. To fully embrace our desire for shared leadership within our pastoral team, which hopefully would support our community in a more healthy way. Earlier this year, we brought in a consultant who primarily works with organizations that are wanting to shift towards non-hierarchical models, And so he spent time with our leadership team, our staff, and just to begin the work of setting up structures, developing a way of work where our staff can embody non-hierarchical practices. And so what used to be a hierarchical org chart is now shifting to a more distributed, a more collaborative structure that that really engages the fullness of all the voices within our community and not just one. And so the circular images, almost like a Venn diagram, really captures the collaboration and shared leadership and shared voice that we hope to make space for as a community. And this is our attempt at resistance that re-centers ourselves around the collective community and not just an individual. And so for us, maybe a practice that we're invited to explore Right is how, how might we recenter voices that have been missing or neglected? How might we help facilitate a space for collective vision building? And what is each of our work in this process where we don't simply defer or we don't continue a pattern of highlighting the loudest voice? And then we continue in verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition, or empty conceit, but in humility, regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. So on one hand, the text here can easily be twisted, right, to perpetuate self-denial that is actually detrimental to ourselves and others. Right, here we're asked to view others as better, put others' interests above our own, and many of us, including myself, right, we grew up in church settings where we were taught that humility is to think less of ourselves. It almost seemed like we were supposed to devalue ourselves or at least prioritize the value of others at our expense, which I think misses the point. The focus here isn't on those who already naturally are inclined to prioritize others' needs. This call for humility isn't meant for those living in the disparity of power dynamics, where they're already existing at the very bottom. Instead, this is a calling out of those in places of power who prioritize themselves above anything else. Leaders whose motivation is to draw attention to their own ego, allow their pride to turn into narcissism. And so for us, shared leadership resists celebrity culture. It's an invitation to be subversive by moving away from an unhealthy reliance on a dynamic, charismatic figurehead. You know, charisma can lead us towards the most interesting and exciting path, and yet we've also seen devastating fallout when unhealthy, charismatic leaders suck everyone into their vortex, only to leave a trail of harm behind them. In the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast, there's a reflection on what the priority was back in the 90s and 2000s when it came to finding pastors to start church plants. Many denominations and networks would conduct church church planner assessments to determine who had the best chance at being successful in starting a, a new church. And it became clear that things like dynamic speaking ability, a charismatic personality, a visionary leadership style, those began to surface to the top of the list. And Even more recently, right, we see the same, same thing in documentaries around like the Hillsong Church, right, how charisma and being a dynamic speaker almost seem to be the only thing that matters for a, a lead pastor. And one of the reflections in the podcast was that when someone has natural charisma and speaking ability, sometimes they rely on those traits so much that they don't need to spend time and energy developing character, right? So just because someone is charismatic and dynamic doesn't automatically make them a healthy, mature leader. And yet most people, including us, have a tendency to crave that kind of leader. We're easily drawn into the cult of personality. And so the more important question for us is to consider why do we look for these types of leaders? And how have we created communities and environments that facilitate celebrity culture? You know, even for Vox in our history, you know, there were aspects of celebrity culture that we couldn't escape. You know, starting a church community is difficult and challenging work. And I acknowledge that having a dynamic and charismatic lead pastor helps with that startup process. And at the same time, we didn't fully realize how that culture got established over time and embedded into the system from the very beginning. You know, there was a New York Times article written about LOCKS early on. And I'll admit at the time it was pretty cool. You know, it felt great getting that kind of recognition, exposure, you know, it's something that feeds egos. And it began to impact how people were experiencing our community. Right, over the years I acknowledge That a common experience was some people feeling a bit intimidated, right? That they didn't feel cool enough to be part of this community. Which makes me sad and upset to hear that. But what does that say about our culture if people feel awkward or uncomfortable because they're not sure they fit a specific personality or aesthetic checkbox? And if I'm really honest, we had subtly created a culture that carried a sense of pride and even arrogance that we had created something special and different from our previous fundamentalist church environments. And so I'm sorry if that's something that you've ever experienced here at Fox. But when we look again at the life of of Jesus, there are many instances where he pushes back on embracing celebrity. Right in the wilderness before his ministry starts he rejects the temptation to have power and fame in this world And then after his miraculous feeding of the crowds with just some bread and fish they all wanted to make him their king but he avoids them by running off to the mountains to be alone That seems to be a common theme that Jesus would disappear or quickly leave anytime the crowds we're ready to push him up the celebrity ladder. And yet in the midst of all that, Jesus chose to remain present with those on the margins. Instead of seeking the places of recognition and influence, he stayed on the outskirts and embodied love for the most vulnerable. And so for us, maybe a way to resist celebrity culture is to nurture our practice of love with the most vulnerable. Because it shifts us from the places of recognition and influence towards the margins instead. And I think that's why for me, it's become more clear that in the past couple of years, just how important it is for us to be intentional with our resources, with our energy, with our time, and how we're present with the vulnerable around us. I mean, why are we even here, as the church, if we're not engaged and participating with what's going on in our neighborhood and city? And so I'm really excited that we've restarted our partnerships team. We just had our first meeting last Sunday. And as we discern our new local partner, we still have plenty of other opportunities, and we invite you all to participate as you're able, right? Whether it's Inside Books Project, that's literally here in our library, whether it's Keep Austin Fed, which hosts one of their fridges here on site, or even the Boggy Creek cleanup. But my hope is that we can resist the enticing call of celebrity culture and simply be faithful in the small, ordinary things that Jesus modeled for us, like how he embodied love with the most vulnerable. And so do nothing from selfish ambition or empty conceit. But in humility, regard others as better than yourselves. And then we close in verse 5. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, assuming human likeness. And it goes on, there's a bit more to this poem, but it's known as the Christ hymn. And it captures the essence of what Jesus was embodying as he chose to live with and be among us. He demonstrates this posture of humility through letting go of his power and privilege. And the original word that's used there is kenosis, which means a self emptying, or in the case of Christ, a giving up of divine nature. And it's interesting to note that Jesus doesn't just take on human form, but Paul uses specific language that Jesus took on the form of a slave, someone with no freedom, no rights, no value in that society. Jesus removed every layer of protection and fully embraced the vulnerability of what it meant to embody a nonviolent God for humanity. And so for us, shared leadership resists self-protective power and privilege, right? It invites us to let go of power and privilege in our lives for the benefit of those who may not have the same. This is how Father Richard Rohr puts it. He says, people filled with the flow or the spirit will always move away from any need to protect their own power, and will be drawn to the powerless, the edge, the bottom, the plain and the simple, they have all the power they need and it always overflows and like water seeks the lowest crevices to fill. And so what does self-emptying look like for us? What are we not meant to hold on to on our own? And what are we meant to hold collectively? You know, for me, the past few years, have been a very unique transition and learning process. You know, I remember when all the staff transitions happened and kept happening and kept happening. And there, there was an assumption that, you know, I was now running everything, which to be fair, there were a lot of gaps that needed to be filled. Um, my friends outside of Vox, you know, asked me, oh, so you must be the lead pastor now. And all of that made me very uncomfortable. Um, I knew that's not what I wanted. And I was already thinking about other ways and other expressions of leadership that we could try in this new season as a community. And so as we started this journey towards a pastoral team model and what shared leadership could look like, right? we slowly started adding to the team. We brought on Christopher, almost two years now, as pastor of community and teaching. Vanessa just joined us last month as the pastor of children and families. I shifted my role to pastor formation and partnerships. And so there's a lot of hope, there's a lot of excitement around this new expression and possibility. And yet I acknowledge that there is a greater intentionality on my part that's required of me as I shift into this model and structure of shared leadership. Because being the only one left from the original team that started Vox. Right. It could be easy for me to pull out my OG card, right? <laughs> or it might be natural for the other team members to simply defer. But I'm really committed to the reimagination of leadership because I truly believe that a non hierarchical structure is more healthy for us as leaders and for us as a community. And we have Christ's model of what it means to embody a posture of humility and how that translates To shared leadership. And so what is each of our work in letting go of self-protective power and privilege? How might we help facilitate a space and community that doesn't hold on to our perceived power so tightly? And so as we close, I want to offer some space just to reflect, right, to notice what's surfacing for us as i've shared about our experience here at vox our hope to embody a more non-hierarchical space right we're invited to resist an individualistic vision and voice to resist celebrity culture to resist self-protective power and privilege and so what is our work in reimagining what the greater church could be in the aftermath of the hurt and pain that so many of us have experienced and so if it's helpful um, close your eyes. Take a deep breath. Inhale through your nose. And exhale through your mouth. And take one more deep breath. And take some time to respond internally. Right, what's, what's standing out for you? What are you taking with you to keep wrestling with? What are some of the tensions that you're holding? And maybe what is something that God's inviting you towards as a response? Give us a moment to reflect in silence. Take one more deep breath, and me close with this prayer. God, who is relational, three in one, always looking to include and collaborate, may we seek the voices not heard and recenter our collective around the forgotten. Jesus, who did not choose the path of fame, walking humbly with those on the margins, may we embody the same nearness and practice love with the most vulnerable. And Spirit who guides and gives us life, breathing into us the authenticity of who we are. May we have courage to let go of that which keeps us bound to our ego and power. We ask all this in the love of God our Creator, the humility of Christ and the freedom of the Spirit. Amen.